Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents on this Saturday, the 3rd of October. It is spring at last, finally. Of course, we're recording on Friday, the 2nd of October. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and it's fantastic to be with you again on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio, Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worklinks and on those those contact details, Giselle. That's right. If you want to get in touch with AAWL, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. Um, coming up in the second part of today's program, Pierre, you had a chat with Joseph Daherd about the situation in Iraq and the Middle East. That's right. That's right. So in the second half of the program, we'll be um, uh, hearing from uh, Joe Da about uh, Lebanon and Iraq, specifically about the, uh, the protest or the mass opposition movements and the political situation in those two countries, uh, especially since the protest movement has been going for about a year. Now, uh, that interview was done um, last week, so it might not actually be totally up to date with the latest news, but it'd still be um, very relevant. So that'll be in the second half. But um, we might as well go um, to our news stories, Giselle. And uh, would you like to start with the first one? Sure. We start in China where scores of coal miners have been killed. Last Sunday, 16 workers were killed and one remains in critical condition after an incident at the Sangzhou coal mine owned by the state energy firm Chongqing Energy in Chongqing Municipality in southern China. The actual details of the incident are still sketchy, but it seems that the miners were trapped in underground tunnels after a conveyor belt caught fire. Questions have been raised about the level of health and safety at the mine and the apparent lack of respiration equipment for the miners. Terrible news. Um, and now we go to Turkey, where there's uh, more um, pressure on the opposition. Last weekend, Turkish authorities ordered the arrest of 82 people, all either, either members or supporters of the left-wing Kurdish party, the Kurdish People Democratic Party, or HDP. Among those arrested is the mayor of the eastern city of Kars, Ayan Bilgen. Now, Ayan's arrest marks the 47th mayor of, uh, of the HDP out of 65 who had been elected at the 2019 election to have been arrested by the government for political reasons in the last two years. So really over two thirds of them have been taken out already. The um, charges against these 82 activists are, are varied and include a murder, attempted murder, theft, damaging property, looting, burning a tur Turkish flag, 
and injuring um, hundreds of security officials and other citizens. Now, all these alleged crimes relate to the mass protests in 2014 sparked by the seizure of the mainly Kurdish Syrian town of Kaban by Islamic State fighters. So as you can see, that's um, six years ago. So the, the Turkish government is certainly using any excuse to go after any opposition in that country. And we move now to the war in the Caucasus, which have probably flooded your media news channels. Um, I'll just foreshadow to you listeners that next week we'll try and bring a feature story about this war. This week, the long-running dispute between Azerbaijan and Armenia over the disputed enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh erupted in full-scale war. The dispute is mired in competing historical, cultural and geographical narratives that followed the breakup of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. The area, which is considered both a part of Asia and Europe, has strategic importance, not only due to its location, but also because of the major gas pipelines that traverse these two countries. It's also a focus of imperialist rivalry between Russia, Turkey and Iran. The war in the early 90s had devastating results for both countries and generated hundreds of thousands of refugees. Yes, um, it will be um, uh, interesting to hear update um, next week. Uh, we now go to Lebanese, where really a bit of an uh, update from what you'll be hearing from uh, Joe, that last weekend, Mustafa Adib, Lebanon's Prime Minister, designate resigned less than a month after his appointment due to his inability to form a stable coalition government. Adib had been appointed at the end of August following a well-publicized intervention by French President Emmanuel Macron to have Adib lead a unity government to stabilize the country after the massive Beirut port explosion. The fact that Adib was unable to form a government, even under pressure from France and with the promise of international aid, is a reflection of the deep economic and political crisis that is engulfing Lebanon. While the ruling elites fight among themselves for the spoils of office, life for most Lebanese workers continues to worsen by the day. And now moving to Cambodia, where the struggle for garment factory workers continues. A few weeks ago, we brought you news of the ongoing struggle at the garment factory Yuli International, based at the Shandong Sunshell Special Economic Zone in Cambodia. And that struggle was to get over 700 garment workers reinstated. The original sackings were in June, and after sustained local and international pressure, in July, the company agreed to reinstate 11 pregnant workers. We now have the news that last week, two more workers, including one of the local union organisers, was reinstated by the company. The campaign for the reinstatement of the other workers is continuing. A massive uh, gain. Uh, I know it sounds like just because it's only two workers, but, you know, the discrimination for women workers, uh, especially those of childbearing age, um, is such a struggle. So congratulations to those workers on that win. Totally agree. Totally agree there. And for our last story, we go to nearby in Myanmar, where in the last few weeks, a video made by two former Myanmar army soldiers has once again brought the global spotlight on that country's war in the Western Rakhine state. In the video, 
private Mia Win Tun and private Zhou Nang Tun recount how they participated in atrocities, including mass murder and the destruction of entire villages under the orders of senior officers. They, the soldiers provided details of many of the killings, including the locations, who gave the orders, the time and where mass graves can be found. The military in response has denied all allegations. In an unrelated event on uh, September 21, uh, which is the International Day of Peace, uh, over 350 Myanmar civil society organizations signed an open letter to voice their concerns over the deteriorating human rights situation in Myanmar amid the pandemic, escalating armed conflict in ethnic areas and the lack of humanitarian assistance uh, to people in need. And that takes us to the end of the Labour update for this week. Um, we'll, be, um, we'll have you another uh, update for you next week. But um, we'll go to a community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview with Joe Dar. An important message from the Victorian Government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government. Managing this together. A 3CR supporter. What a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAR. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. 
and you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Giselle and Pierre. Pierre, tell us about our interview this morning. Yes, as uh, regular listeners would know, we've interviewed uh, Joe Da, who is a political activist and an academic and a journalist, um, really um, focusing on Northern Africa and West Asia. And I was able to catch up to him uh, last week and we to talk about the uh, ongoing uh, struggles and situation in Lebanon and Iraq. Can you tell us a bit about the aftermath of the Beirut port explosion uh, that rocked uh, Lebanon last August? And has this changed the ongoing protest movement in that country? So the criminal explosion um, on the 4th of August, I call it a criminal explosion because this explosion was the result of uh, not only mismanagement, but uh, basically the, the, the political system in Lebanon, especially of the sectarian ruling class, um, has, so this explosion creates an outcry and a real shock among the Benigni and we've seen huge protests following the explosions in the, in the days following after a few days of shock, and which brought down uh, the prime minister, even though there were also parties from the ruling class wanted this prime minister out, but it was mostly from the pressure from below that the former prime minister, Diab, was, uh, had to resign. Uh, unfortunately, this situation does not, um, what, what is currently happening is that there's still a lack of structuration of the protest movement, a lack of pushing forward a certain numbers of demands, whether radical or democratic. Uh, because of the lack of this uh, saturation and organization of the protest movement has been a challenge since uh, the beginning of the protest movement in uh, autumn uh, last year, especially the left and the democratic segments of the, the protest movement are very much divided, fragmented. So the, the huge challenging uh, challenges facing this protest movement are still very much present. And for most of the, um, the political dynamics occurring now are mostly from above between um, attempts of various political parties to influence the new uh, government will be most probably established very soon. And that is also in which you have the interventions of various entities, especially France, that are, is pushing forward for the establishment of a form of national unity government, but uh, under the, the, the great uh, propaganda of a technocratic uh, government. But when Macron arrived, the French president arrived in Lebanon after the, the explosion, he wanted, he clearly said, basically he wanted the United National Government, which is the best way to save the ruling sectarian neoliberal political party. So the, the, the various challenges facing the protest movement in Lebanon are still present. The structuration of the protest movement, um, the fragmentation division of the leftist and democratic parties, uh, which is putting numerous problems this movement to go forward with its demands, which are basically for more democracy, social justice, and the end of this neoliberal and sectarian system. Well, we might go now to another major move in the region and to Iraq, where the mass protest movement in Iraq is now approaching its first anniversary, which is the 1st of October, amid continued killings and repression. In your opinion, what are its strengths and weaknesses? Similar to, to Lebanon in some ways, Iraq's protest movement 
which has been ongoing for nearly a year, as you were saying. And like Lebanon had a po- period of a dominion of the protest movement during the COVID period, but came back quite strong, uh, it's facing numerous problems. Similar as Lebanon, there's the lack, the absence of an organized independent labor movement that controlled by sectarian and liberal political parties. Uh, both in Lebanon and Iraq, actually, the main trade unions organization are controlled by sectarian and other uh, parties. Even though in Iraq you had, but just like in Lebanon, some protests, especially in the south in the past few years, but in Baghdad as well, protesting against the um, privatizations of various public services, higher inflation, uh, and the economic problems and austerity measures as well. Uh, at the same time, it's facing as well the fragmentation and division of uh, the left and democratic sectors, the lack of structuration of the protest movement. But the, also a major challenge in Iraq, is, which is different in many aspects than Lebanon, is the, the violence and uh, of Iraqi Shia sectarian militias connected to, to the Islamic Republic of Iran that has not hesitated to kill numerous political actors. We had more than 600 people killed since the beginning of the, the protest movement in Iraq. They often targeted assassinations of political activists, whether women or men. Uh, most lately, you had the famous uh, Iraqi woman political activist that was targeted by uh, militia, especially in the city of Basra in the south, which is, has its particularity that the various Iraqi sectarian militia, especially the ones linked to Iran, have been profiting from the the oil smuggling in the city, the city is lacking of everything. You've seen also uh, protests regarding, as I was mentioning before, you know, regarding socioeconomic issues, against like privatization of various public services. And in this city, a number of, uh, of activists have been assassinated, even in broad daylight. So another major, I would say, threat for the protest movement in Iraq is the, is the, the, the assassinations uh, led by these uh, Iraqi sectarian Shia militias. Which, are, which is threatening uh, very much uh, this protest movement. And, um, yeah, to, to, to resume a bit the situation, it's lacking you know, a structuration, a strong labor, independent labor movement, and coordinating between these two sectors to basically uh, challenge the ruling class in Iraq, and especially with the, the, the country is much more under the influence of uh, of Iran than Lebanon, for example. And even though Iran and, and the United States have been basically co-sharing uh, the country since after the uh, U.S.-British invasion of 2003, and most of the governments have been a kind of um, a deal between these two actors, th- this government is a bit trying to challenge the power of Iraqi-Iranian-linked sectarian issues, but with great difficulties. And this is also another additional difficulty is the, the various foreign interventions. I know you've mentioned that, but just a, a bit of a roundup of the geopolitical rivalries, interest, and conflicts in this in this region. I mean, they could really derail some of these movements uh, because war never seems very far away. No, indeed, uh, you're totally right. Uh, and one of the, the main aspects of this region has been the regional and intervention, international interventions against the various protest movement in the region, despite appearing sometimes for its interest, more for, for their totality, they, they intervene against the, the core interests 
of these protest movements, which are for democracy, social justice, and equality against all forms of uh, sectarianism. So, for example, in Lebanon, uh, the French president Emmanuel Macron appeared like the, the savior uh, of the Lebanese people, but this is not last, uh, and is actually pushing, as I was mentioning before, for a form of united national government that is also appearing as technocratic, but one of the main uh, demands put forward by the French president is the implementation of so-called reforms that are basically neoliberal measures, such as privatization of the, the electricity-based ministry or institution, and also privatization of other public services, austerity measures, and you know, pushing forward neoliberal measures that will go against the interests of the vast majority of the popular classes living in Lebanon uh, and, and workers. So Macron really appear, although appearing as a savior for the people, actually intervened for the sake of the, of the ruling sectarian neoliberal uh, political parties in Lebanon to, to save them, to give them another chance through this initiative, despite the fact that there are contradictions within the process of forming this uh, this new government, internal contradiction between uh, the, the ruling sectarian classes. Uh, and you also have the fact that uh, you have the U- Macron wants to appear as an intermediary, s- serving a role for U.S. imperialism in the region. This was also the reason for the the, the multiple visits of Macron in Lebanon, but also uh, in Iraq for the just lately. Regarding Iraq, you still have obviously this geopolitical rivalry between Iran and the U.S. that have been mounting, especially since the, the assassination of the Iranian general commander of the Pazdaran, Iran, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, Soleimani, uh, beginning of 2019, and uh, another figure of uh, uh, sectar- Iraqi sectarian Shia militias. And since then, you had had a couple of attacks on U.S. bases by Iraqi uh, sectarian militias. And obviously, we're all in favor for all foreign powers to leave uh, Iraq, whether it be U.S. military bases, but also, which is one of the main demands, of the protest movement in Iraq, of uh, Iranian-linked influence uh, of Iraq that has been, you know, uh, having great negative consequences uh, on Iraq, and you had had a couple of campaigns against the Iranian influence in Iraq. You even had, I think it was this year or the, uh, last year, the, the burning of the Iranian consulate in the southern city of Iraq, and attacks and symbols of uh, personalities linked to Iran or direct uh, Iranian symbols in Iraq. So definitely the various geopolitical rivalries are a threat to the to the various protest movements uh, in the region because they are all opposed to the core demands of the revolutionary processes that started in the end of 2010 and beginning of 2011 uh, uh, in Tunis, Egypt, continuing throughout the region despite the difficulties. So we get to the final question. And so from people like us from the outside, uh, how can international solidarity uh, both with the Iraqi and the Lebanese protest movements uh, be effective? What would be the best things to do? Regarding both countries, but any kind of international assistance provided to the people of this country should be made under condition, as France had done it with the, actually with the support of all the countries in the region and in the world, and also the IMF saying basically we will loan billions of dollars to Lebanon, to the future Lebanese government if it implements the neoliberal measures and austerity measures I mentioned before. So this is one of the role, I think, of international societies opposing any kind of assistance that is basically 
condition to deepening, uh, you know, neoliberal measures or any kind of decision that is under conditions by foreign powers. This, this must be very clear, I think, and this is one of the forms of international solidarity that can take one of one of its forms. I mean, basically, Lebanese people need international assistance. They need internationalists as, as well, assistance that we could try to to give at our level, but also demanding from our own governments that no assistance should be conditioned by for, for particular measures by the future Lebanese government, and certainly not to give another, if you want, another life to ruling sectarian neoliberal policies that are being challenged these both countries. Well, and as well in Iraq, we should ask for the departure of all foreign troops from from, uh, from this country. Also, I didn't mention influence of Turkish government in the north and its various interventions, especially against groups linked to uh, against the PKK and even bombing. Uh, this also sh- should be challenged and condemned. But at the same time that we demand the departure of U.S. military presence from Iraq, we should also condemn the, the role of Iran in Iraq. Also, uh, as I, I was mentioning before, you know, the, its influence is being very much criticized and there's demands from large sectors of the society to see uh, Iran Halt in Iraqi society. So I think these are the forms of demand, international solidarity that we have to put forward also regarding, you know, as I did mention a couple of times, I think it was also in your in your program when uh, when it comes to anti-war movement, we have to condemn the role of Western imperialist governments, but also the negative influence and role of regional actors in also the region of the Middle East should be very clear and not bringing any authoritarian government despite having a, a so-called rhetoric that is challenging U.S. presence in the world. So this must be very clear that we oppose any kind of oppression, any kind of authoritarian regimes or any kind of uh, imperialism. And this is, I think, a base of international solidarity, bringing our support to the protest movement, to the workers, to the oppressed uh, of this region. Thank you for those very good uh, words and fighting words, uh, Joe. We'll certainly take them to heart and uh, we'll keep abreast with the situation. We certainly wish all the, the, the masses in Iraq and Lebanon all the very best. But thank you very much, uh, Joe, again. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again sometime you. later this year. Thank you for your invitation. No thank you. And you will listen to an interview with Joe Dar, a journalist and academic on the situation in North Africa and uh, West Asia, talking about the situation in Lebanon and Iraq. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter.
And Pierre, that brings us to the end of another Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. Thank you to all of our listeners for your continued support. And of course, a very, very big thank you to 3CR staff for allowing us to continue to broadcast our shows. Um, obviously, we're recording in our homes and we rely on the staff to collect our shows and put them to air in this period of COVID pandemic where we're not really allowed to move around. So a big thank you to 3CR staff. That's right. A big thank you for us. And, and um, we've come to the end of another program of Asia Pacific Currents. So we'll be back next week on your favourite community radio station. APC is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. That's all from me, Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hannah.